Welcome to Femcasters, a podcast and community where feminine wiles and ferocious female voices collide. Femcasters was born from the idea that we can change the world one broadcast at a time. We are here to unite and elevate the voices of silence breakers just like you, girl wide. Let's kick it, Karina. Kick it. We can talk about whatever you want. Perfect. Well, we're officially recording, so. Have you ever recorded before, Dr. Laura? I'm just curious. <laughs> this is this your first? <laughs> My first ever. <laughs> no, I mean, we adore you, obviously. I've been a super fan of yours since forever. But to have you in this air quotes studio, just to understand your history. But your voice, I think, has changed and really has evolved over the past decade, if you will. Mm, Do you want to walk us through that? This evolution? (laughs) You got all day. (laughs) It's a long evolution. (laughs) Um, I would say it's, it's widened and evolved more than changed because I've almost come full circle. I started off as a relationship therapist, a love therapist. And I've always known that my purpose is to help people learn to love and be loved better. And that's never changed. And then I sort of, I started doing sex therapy as part of couples therapy, relationship therapy. And I needed to train, get my own training during my clinical training because the reason I ended up doing it is because there was no training for it. And I didn't understand that. So I got myself trained. And then of course I started seeing a lot of people who had those issues among other ones. And then that's what I, you know, sort of accidentally got known, you know, famous for when I wrote my first book about women's sexual health, because I realized there was nothing out there about the way that the medical aspects joined forces with the emotional ones. And so my, it's just sort of evolved one thing after another. And then when I got into my forties and I started going into, you know, experiencing one AFGE after another, as I call them, another freaking growth experience after another. Oh, the, it's freaking now. <laughs> well, can I say fucking on this? You can say okay, whatever so you another like. fucking growth experience. <laughs> I'm just like automatically PG 13, unless given permission to be otherwise given the topics that I tend to talk about, I just err on the side of not cursing until I'm invited to. So another fucking growth experience after another, my mo- you know, my mother who I was really close to died for, of breast cancer. Then I got breast cancer and I was, it was one thing after another. And I think that sort of changed the trajectory of what I did for my own self-preservation. And it kind of set me on a more spiritual path and then uh, that, of course, affected my work. And I started discovering all of these quantum truths and metaphysical teachings that really added whole new layers to my work as well as my life. And so I guess that's how things have evolved mm-hmm. over time. And then I would say for the past year, it's been evolving more to really be about the next layer for me, which is really going deep into the body and into being with our deepest, most vulnerable places and our fears and our losses and our traumas, mm. still all in service to widening the heart to love and be loved better. But it's just kind of evolved. And I'm sure it will continue to hopefully for another 50 years. Well, you've written a smattering of New York Times bestsellers, and then also a recent book on quantum love that I Mm -hmm. had the pleasure of 
listening to you talk about when you were interviewed on Jules' other podcast, Obsessed uh -huh. with Humans on the Verge of Change. So I wonder if you could talk a bit about what that journey is like. A lot of our community here of femcasters are mm -hmm. authors, aspiring authors, podcasters, aspiring podcasters. <laughs> a lot of people are just getting their start, you know? what my journey to publishing would be, you mean, or to uh, quantum love or to both, which, which are you asking? I think both. I'm asking both. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, I guess they're related because it really is about manifesting. I think the key for all of us, and I was, like I said, very lucky in this way that I knew my purpose really early. I don't think most of us really are that lucky, although more and more people are finding that. And it's usually through those tough times that we, you know, it's really through our pain that we find our purpose and for good and for bad. I think I had a lot of pain early on in life that led me in the direction to be one of those wounded healers, which most healers are. And so I think the key is if you don't, you know, if to find what breaks your heart as one of my favorite authors and teachers, Dr. Chatterdye Trent always says, you know, your purpose is found in what breaks your heart. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really about no, like really connecting with that purpose that feels so authentic to you. And like, you shouldn't even get paid for doing it, mm -hmm. whatever it is, it, it brings you so much wholeness. And then from that place, you're driven to create and to manifest. I'm not one of those people. I have a lot of friends who are very successful and are all about like, okay, now I'm going to have a mansion on the mountains in Colorado and it's going to have this kind of creek in front of it. And, you know, they're really good at like creating those manifesting dreams. That's not actually my strong suit at all. But I would say that that's really the key in taking your message out there is for me, I don't think it's necessary to be a master imaginer. You know, you may not know exactly how you're going to take your purpose out. It may be a book, it may be a podcast, it may be a screenplay, it may be a work of art. But if you just follow the breadcrumbs of joy and you stay clear on your purpose and you get clear on how you want to feel doing your work in the world then at least in my case, it's always just sort of the next thing has always unfolded. When I run into trouble is when I've been like, okay, I got to make this happen. I've got to fix, manage, and control it into being. Why is it happening over there and it's not happening here? And you know, if you get into that energy, I think that's what tends to keep you stuck from really expressing your genius in the world. Hmm. And you, have, you did mention that heartbreak often leads you to your purpose. And I know in the past year, mm -hmm. I mean, your story is so powerful. Your heartbreak is unimaginable. Mm -hmm. Karina is a mom of two boys. I have four boys. You have the three boys. Together, that is nine. nine yeah. My math. My math. Skills. I mean, <laughs> <Mine's bad too. laughs> your, but your purpose, I feel, has shifted, at least as I see how you curate your messages on social media mm -hmm. and through everything. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, I'm not that conscious about saying, okay, my purpose has shifted. It's just where my work in the world has always been so intimately connected to what's internally driving me. Mm -hmm. And so that always is the direction where it ends up going. And so that's what's happening now. My son was tragically killed from fentanyl poisoning almost, almost a year ago. And um, so, so, you know, it's interesting leading up before, like about a year before his death, that entire year, I was working on a memoir 
and it was really complicated and it was really probably my dad had died. So I felt finally free to really write about some of this stuff. And over the course of that year before Sammy died, just by different circumstances, I met three different, one was a shaman, one was a medium, and one was like a psychic medium healer and three totally different scenarios. And I didn't ask them about this book I was writing, although that if you'd asked me, what are you working on then? That's what I would have said. And each one of them, and it was about me and it was about abuse and it was about claiming your true sexual and vulnerable self. And I may still write that book one day, but what was so weird looking back is that each of those three people said to me specifically, don't think too much about it. Just, yeah, okay, you're going to write a book. And if you're going to write it, just write it quickly. Don't think too much about it. Don't stall too much. Just write it. And I didn't really understand why they were saying that. I thought, you know, what are they thinking? I'm going to overthink it. Are they thinking I'm I, I don't really think I'm going to. And then several, two out of the three also said, your future work is about your children. And I had, and I had never really thought about, mm-hmm. I, I never thought about my kids being a fundamental part of my work in the world directly or indirectly. And so after Sammy died within, you know, during, after that year of these three messages. And since then, as I've looked back, I realized that they were, they knew this was coming or something was coming on a certain level. And they were like, you better get that freaking book done Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's not even going to be on your radar after your son dies. Mm. Uh, And that's absolutely, I mean, I I had an agent that I was working with and was helping me edit the proposal and we were doing a new draft and she hasn't even reached out to me again after the original, you know, condolences. And I'm so sorry. Like we both knew at that point that that book is on a back shelf for a while now, but now something else is evolving and it's not about parenting at all, which is how I interpreted those messages I got. It's about the lessons that I've learned and continue to learn through the pain that is like no other that almost no one can imagine, including myself before this, how that transmutes and alchemizes and transforms you and how to survive that has ended up teaching me so much that once again is in service to loving and being loved better. So So, yeah, that's being in your body, feeling your feelings, being with the depths of your vulnerabilities, moving through difficult emotions so that you can experience more freedom and joy, realizing that the worst pain you feel and allow yourself to feel that much more joy you can also feel, you know, that's now becoming part of my teachings as well as how to connect with your loved ones on the other side. Wow. Well, I mean, you're building an incredible community that's connected through this process, too. I mm-hmm. understand there's, a, I believe, a Facebook group that erupted to thousands, tens of thousands of people. Yeah. Yeah. After Sammy died, it just exploded because, I mean, thankfully, there's more and more attention on this issue. I had never even heard about it before Sammy was killed. But, um, you know, how Snapchat is so... Uh, instrumental in kids accessing drugs, you know, and getting them delivered to their house. And then they're laced with fentanyl and then they die of fentanyl poisoning, which is what's happened. I think a hundred thousand people died. It's the number one killer of kids above suicide or 
drugs or anything else is fentanyl poisoning right now. But this was just sort of happening at the time. And when it came out on the news, because people were, I just, I didn't realize it was going to be such a big deal when I posted it to my little community, but then the news picked it up. And then, you know, 10,000 parents messaged me and I didn't know what to do because I was brand, you know, I just lost him. So you kind of knew what to do, Dr. Laura. I mean, well, you were on Gail King the next day. I didn't mean to be like, that's <laughs> the thing I did. I felt so helpless in that moment that all I did, I just was like, oh my, when the police told me that there was nothing they could do to catch the guy and there was nothing Snapchat would do, even though I had the guy's handle, they wouldn't tell him who the guy was. I flipped out. And I also flipped out thinking, oh my God, there are all these other kids that are like, I got to say something. And I was freaking out on top of freaking out. You know, I was just having a panic attack. And my husband said, okay, just post it on social media, like tell your people that'll make you feel better. And so I did. And then the next thing I know that today, uh, what's her name? Kate Snow from NBC Nightly News called me. And Mm -hmm. I literally spoke to her the day after I said, I don't think I'm even going to get through this. I'm not putting on hair and makeup. I don't give a shit. I just don't want another kid to die. If if I can save one kid, I'll suck it up and go on. And so that's what that snowball was. And then all these parents started showing up. And that's what I mean. I didn't know what to do with all these people reaching out. So I just put them together in a support group called Parents for Safer Children. And they have been, I mean, I, they have been amazing the way they support each other and share with each other and understand each other. I think there's like 12,000 parents on there and not all of them have lost. Most of them probably have lost their children the way I lost Sammy, but there are tons who, you know, have just lost their children at all different ages. And it's a really beautiful community. So that was just, that just grew out of them all reaching out to me at the same time and me not being able to have the energy to exchange with them because I was so deep in my own grief I put them all together and they've been amazing. Well, I have to say on a personal level, I related to this story in a way I didn't expect to. I I listened to the episode. I've heard some of your other shows as well. And, you know, I had, and I won't call it a similar situation, but one of my dear, dear friends, best friend Mm -hmm. from college was randomly attacked and murdered um, Mm -hmm. by a man walking down the street. He just chosen, he'd said, he decided that the next woman he saw walking alone, he was going uh, to kill. It was broad oh, daylight, so right? Sorry. Yeah. So just a really awful thing. And I don't want to get into too much of it. But the thing that does connect is that the reason he was even on the street in the first place was an administrative error on the part of the prison system. Mm-hmm. Because new legislation had been put through that said, if you hadn't had a parole hearing in six months, no matter what the crime had been, that you would be yeah. released onto the streets. And so because they had not given him a parole hearing, he was released onto the streets because it was fixing an administrative error. Um, he was in jail for a violent felony and should mm-hmm. have remained in jail for another several years. And so we had to work to lobby Congress and yeah. we're successful in getting that loophole closed. Well, that's good. But that's a big accomplishment because we have not had the same luck because we're up against Snapchat and the social media companies, but we are pushing for legislation that will at least require that any social media company 
that has children on its platform must allow parent monitoring software because Facebook and Instagram or Facebook especially does Instagram's is so, so, but Snapchat does not allow it because they don't Mm. want anyone else having access to their data, including a third party monitoring system. Cause that's where where the kids are. That's That's where the kids are. And they don't allow us to use that. And they keep saying they're going to create their own, but their own is going to suck first of all. And second of all, (laughs) You know, until then, we got to do something while these kids are dying. So they they've been horrible, but we are pushing for that legislation and hopefully it will get through. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's power in community. And the more people that know about that story, the more likely it is that something will change because it takes a, a huge effort to get anything to move through Congress. And it's a lot more yeah. than one person's power. So through your tragedy in some way, I hope that that is the end result. And if there's anything I can personally do to support that journey, I'm here in California and oh, thank I, will, you. I will support it. Well, we just wrote a letter to the president that's getting a lot of attention right now. And we are uh, we have Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the representative from Florida, mm-hmm. and some other hoping to get bipartisan support. And they have named it. I This wasn't my idea, but they have named it Sammy's Law, which is very sweet. Wow. And it is being written up now. I think the key is really going to be when it goes, you know, when it's going to be presented we all have to call our lawmakers because, you know, these things just fall through the cracks unless each lawmaker has, you know, at least 15 constituents call them that day about, you know, then the message will get through their assistant to pay attention to this. But otherwise, they're just going to be in the, there. We're working against such strong lobbyists in the social media company world. Mm. You know, we're just like a teeny tiny drip in the ocean. But Hopefully it'll change, but that's not what I'm basing my future happiness on. Well, <laughs> that way, yeah, of or course. Peace. Yeah, I mean, if you want to be happy, you can't rely on Congress to help you be happy. <laughs> wow, that is perfectly said. So, um, what I what I will say though is, it feels like what we're talking about here is the power of using your voice and mm-hmm. acknowledging its impact on communities to actually increase your impact as time goes forward. As long as you're really on that track, yeah. it feels like it's yours. Yeah. And so, I mean, I wonder if you know is is this something that you talk about on your own podcast, or do you stay really focused on the relationships? No, I talk about everything and whatever I'm interested in. I've kind of gotten to the point in my life where I can't do anything that I'm not super interested in. (laughs) Uh, So I like that time of life. (laughs) So I have no interest in investing time and energy in something that doesn't light me up. So I just follow what really lights me up. And I trust that my tribe who's interested in the same thing is going to follow along. I've never been good at doing it backwards. You know, what, who is my tribe and what do they want? I try to, you know, I just focus more on what's lighting me up. So I have metaphysical teachers on there. I have relationship therapists on there. Sometimes I'll just spend a show answering calls and questions about sex and love. I've had a, you know, I, it it just varies, but it's what I'm really like, you know, who, who, piques my curiosity or who I think my audience would really enjoy or has something really valuable to teach us about how to love and be loved better. Your topics span the gamut. If you even look at your link tree, you have 
how to do Kegels better, your interview with Nick Cannon, (laughs) change.org. I mean, so it is what lights you up and it is what has guided your path, but it has guided your path so successfully. Are there tips in terms of not holding on to things so tightly? Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on what you deem success, right? Like by a lot of standards, I don't even know. Like if you look at my, I don't know how many Instagram followers I have, but it's certainly not what a lot of quote unquote successful influencers have because I don't buy followers because I want them to be real and I want to have that exchange with them. But at the same time, anyone who does social media marketing or whatever would tell me, oh, you have to be really predictable about what you're doing and you're too many things, you know, your grief, your sex, you're like, what are you, who are you? I'm like, I am that. <laughs> I am grief and sex. Grief and, and sex. That's going to be the name of this between. podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, that's just who I am. And it's not an identity crisis. It's just, to me, it's all related because it's, it's everything that I'm teaching and, and doing myself is all in service to showing up with more wholeness and authenticity and higher vibration and manifesting energy in your life, in your love life, in your work life. It's all about healing and claiming your power. And that's everything and calling and maintaining amazing love in your life. It all starts with the kind of love you can give yourself. So is there a particular topic you don't touch on your show? Politics. I don't I don't like politics. I don't like talking about politics on mine either, but sometimes a guest brings it in and I always yeah. have to feel like I have to make that difficult choice about whether or not to edit it out. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm I I try not to edit anything out, but I also think that there's such people are being recycled and refed their same regurgitated perspectives on all sides. And everybody is absolutely convinced of their righteous truth. And I'm sitting in my cheap seats looking around at all of them and just not being willing to be in the division Mm -hmm. because that's really what this is doing. It's harming us so deeply on so many levels, politically, emotionally, socially, collectively, energetically to be in this kind of division. And there's so many people committed to the division that I just have zero interest in adding to it. Yeah. I will, you know, if if I feel strongly about something, I will talk about it, whether it's, you know, a right for a woman to, to control what happens to her body, to, you know, uh, LGBT community having the right to, you know, claim their gender, whatever it is, and their right to marry. You know, I've always Mm -hmm. been really uh, advocate throughout my career, I've really pushed for that. But to me, that's not a political agenda. That's a human agenda more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, I like to call those that that's the humanitarian side of things. And if yeah. you try to make the humanitarian side of a belief system into a politicized belief system, I feel like that's disserving everybody because you're essentially saying, oh, well, this side, this entire half of the population doesn't care if uh or they're all racist or they're all idiots or they're all yogis or you know it's just perpetuating stereotypes right and division and we're being fed in our little social media worlds and online media that we watch and news that we consume it's all 
geared toward your perspective. So your perspective is never challenged. And that to me is dangerous. Yeah. Well, that's how social media is. Mm -hmm. It's impacting us negatively. I just want to say one thing before you go on, because I was just thinking about this this morning when all of these things were showing up in my feed that I'd reached recently been searching. And I thought, you know what? Social media is really like manifesting through your energetic frequency, because I always say where attention goes, energy flows. And so if you want to know where you've been putting your emotional and intellectual energy, pay attention to what's showing up on your feed, because that's a really good indication of what you're calling into your life. That's like a really interesting challenge, to be quite honest. Yeah. So it's actually something I use Instagram for. Um, This is something that Mo Gaudet, he wrote the book, Scary Smart, which is Mm. all about artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. But the basics of it are focused on what our role is in that, because there's nothing stopping AI at this point. AI is smarter than humanity in five years or less. Like it's happening, right? Terminator. (laughs) So um, he's like, it's all about what we teach it. And one of the things he purported is that if you go to your Instagram feed, for example, and just search for things that are on point with what your desired um, feed would look like for Mm -hmm. a period of a few days or months or, you know, it just doesn't have to be that long. That suddenly every time you go to that discovery tab, you're going to find things that resonate with that as opposed to the girl staring in the mirror, you know, like skinny versus fat or whatever. Yes. And if you, because it learns what you pause on. And, it and learns- it's so powerful energetically. Like mm-hmm. I've been fantasizing seriously, and I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm manifesting it of having a little teeny hobby farm with a little, a few little pigs and some horses and some goats and my vegetables and just like not too far from an airport, but like far enough to feel like you're in the country. And so I started looking around and I am in ecstasy. And this is what made me think of it this morning is my entire feed is filled with gorgeous, tiny houses on farmland <laughs> and all of these farms and farm life and, and, and pigs and chickens and the best chicken coop ads and all this stuff that's just feeding my manifestation energy. So that's a way we can use social media to drive our desires rather than make us feel bad about ourselves or divide ourselves. Right. I actually found it surprising because I don't search for things like the makeup tutorials and things like that. Yet every time I go into my Instagram, a discovery tab, that Mm -hmm. seems to be a lot of what's there. Because you buy it. I don't know. You buy it. They know you buy it because they do pay attention to it. I think it and it comes up and it's serious. The yeah. other day, just even Alexa in the room scares me because I'll have yes, to be having a conversation and stuff pops up on my social yeah, media. Yeah. And- oh my God. She totally listens mm-hmm. and puts it up there. And you want to hear a hilarious conversation. I still tease him about it. But my husband, we were talking not about this manifesting thing, but my girlfriend and I were laughing that the only thing at that point that was coming up on our feeds were kittens and babies, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the explore page, you know, that's what I'm talking about. Like it's all kittens and babies. And my, and we said, yeah, it's what you're searching for. And my husband says, nah, cause the only thing that's coming up on mine is porn and cars. And I was like, honey, Oh my God, that's hilarious. You just outed yourself. But I do think they do say, you know, 
gender, age, whatever. So you are going to get it if you're in that demo that is likely to buy a Quanta car or buy makeup, but it's definitely exacerbated by where you're putting your attention, where attention goes, energy flows, including social media energy. How does Sam like handle a woman like in the spotlight and so open and like just mentioning that he's... No, he would die if he knew I mentioned that. I hope he didn't hear this. (laughs) We'll have to send him this episode. (laughs) Luckily, he doesn't, you know, he he doesn't really read a lot about what I write or the only time he notices is if I were to ever talk about him on social media, he does follow my social media, but otherwise he's got his own focus. But our only agreement, which was very early on, was that I'm not allowed to talk about our sex life. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> so I and I try not to talk about him, you know, except I don't have much to say about him other than examples of ways we work together well or positive things about mm-hmm. him. So it's not like I would be having a bitch. So I don't think he worries about that. He's just ironically or not so given that we tend to choose people who have qualities we aspire to or want to heal in ourselves, he is extremely private. I mean, my nickname for him is also Mr. Proper, which is hilarious because like I'll belch and fart with my yeah. you know, 15-year-old kid and have, you know, contests and he's like mortified. So he's very proper in many ways, not in the most important ways, but in terms of like social niceties. And I am completely unfiltered. And he's used to me you know, when I was doing a lot of speaking and he was with me, he had the only thing he had to really get used to is people by proxy would think he was an expert. And so while they were in line or wanting to speak to me after a talk, they would, they would find him knowing he was my partner and start telling them about, you know, their orgasmic disorder or chronic. (laughs) Oh my God. The look on his face. It was pretty, it was pretty hilarious. Very, I love making him uncomfortable you know, in those ways, it's very entertaining. It's something I'm not sure what that says about my personality, but I get a really big kick out of people being a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but it's we true. all like to do that as wives. Though, I think <laughs> We all do that no matter if, yeah. if we try or not. So I, you know, we really appreciate your wisdom. I guess like my one question as a femcaster is, you know, when you were in your early days of broadcasting mm-hmm. and you got you got brought into the fold of the Oprah Winfrey just dynasty. What mm-hmm. was that like and how 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 was that materialized? You have a show on the own network, you know. Yeah. He uh that was uh just a mad it was a really cool time in my life. I had already been living in Chicago for seven years. And you know, what I eventually learned with the Oprah show and the Oprah world is that you don't pitch them. Like they just decide and find you when that's it. I I can't even think about how many times I had pitched them. I had gone on the show when I wrote my first book in 2000 about women's sexual dysfunction. And then she didn't touch sex with a 10 foot pole, no pun intended for another seven years. But then I was doing a once a week, and this is once again, follow your breadcrumbs of joy, do what you would do for free anyway, and success will follow. So I was going on a local radio show in Chicago every Friday for an hour with these shock jocks taking calls about love, sex, and relationships. And I had done that for the whole year. 
Eddie and Jobo show. It's not on anymore. B96? Yeah, on B96. I live in Chicago, so yeah. Aren't those fun, though? I mean, I've been on a few shock jocks. Okay, so you know, and I loved it. And I just did it. I did it for free. I did it for fun. It wasn't like I was expecting anything out of it. And then in 2007, when Oprah was finally ready to do a show about women's sexuality, the producer who was doing that show had listened to my segment every Friday with Eddie and Jobo on her way of taking her kids to school. So as soon as Oprah said, I want to do on sh- about women's sex, she's like, oh my God, I know the perfect person. And she's right here in Chicago. And so that's how I went on the Oprah show. I actually met my husband the first time I had gone on seven years prior. I knew him as a young girl, but we met again as adults in that studio when I did the show for the first time. And then when I did it seven years later, he was in the audience as my husband now, which was kind of a cool full circle. But then I went for that one show and luckily I brought two outfits because I wasn't sure what I was going to wear. And we were having such a great conversation. She just said, do you have a change of clothes? And I said, yes. And she said, go change. We're going to keep going, make a second hour. And then on the way home, they called me and they said, Oprah's starting a network. We want to develop a show with you. So that was a band again. It was just super easy. Like once you, I was, I would have loved that for seven years prior, but once I was just doing what I loved, you know, it all just fell into place. When you're speaking to the power of that early effort that wasn't compensated, it was, you yeah. were doing it because it was something you were interested in and it got noticed. And so that's something I like to remind people too. Like, even if you're out there podcasting right now and it may not be making you money right now, yeah. you don't know what it's going to lead to down the road because your voice is getting preserved and out there. And who knows whose yeah. hands and whose ear holes that is ending up in? Almost everything I've done and achieved in my life has started with me doing it for free, either through an internship so that I could get in the door somewhere, or even the podcast I'm doing now, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not making much money at all from it, but I just love doing it. And so I'm doing it and it's been, you know, gaining momentum and doing great. So I think, you know, you still obviously have to pay the bills, But when it comes to those passion projects, yes, think about ways that you can monetize them, but also widen your view and welcome in. The universe is always going to come up with something a million times better than you could ever imagine. So if you just, I don't know how else to say it, except follow the breadcrumbs of joy when when an opportunity is presented to you. and, And this I started doing when I was a really young adult, I would say to myself, okay, I don't know how this is going to make money but I know I have a full body yes to it. And if I have a full body yes to it, it's eventually gonna turn into money because that's all money is, is energy and vibration. And, and, and it's always worked out that way, but it often means me, but my motivation never comes from money to start something or to do something. Well, I love that perspective of it being a full body experience. It's not yeah, just sure. like, hey, your head saying yes. Full body, yes. Full body, yes. Right. Because if it's if it's the yes, that's coming from ego or, oh, yeah, if I because I've been offered amazing opportunities that my head really wants to say yes to. But there's something off or it's really not an integrity with what I really, really believe or where I really want to be putting my energy. But it would bring in a lot of money or bring in a lot of fame or whatever. And uh, I've said no, because those things never work out. And it's a waste of energy. And like I said, I just don't have the energy to do things that I don't have a full body yes to anymore. 
I think that's going to become my new mantra. Is this a full body yes? Full body yes. Mine's going to be following. Yeah. Because you will have a head yes often. That's why you have to be in your body. And that's what I've learned this year more than everything in life works. We're scared shitless to be in our bodies because it, it can be painful in there. But the more you're in the body, the better life gets. Seriously. On all fronts, because you're attuned to your gut, you're attuned to really want what you want, you're taking care of yourself, you're tapping into your spiritual power. You know, all of that starts with being in your body and feeling what you're feeling and honoring what you're feeling, which is what a gut reaction really is. If you're not in your body, you ain't going to feel your gut or you're going to ignore it if you do. Full body, yes. We're glad you got the full body, yes, when we asked you to be on Femcasters. Yeah. And-, <laughs> and it took a while, right? I didn't have a full body, yes, for a while. Okay. okay. Right? And then I eventually said, okay, <laughs> let's do it. And when you're shopping, do you have to have a full body, yes, to buy things? Or yes. You're just like- <laughs> I, you know what? I put it in my cart and then I don't buy it. And then I come back to it the next day and I see if I have a full body, yes. And then I always end up getting rid of half of it. But then I keep a few things. So yeah, I use it in that too. That's great. Love that. And you had a full body yes when you said yes to marrying your husband and like everything you do. And it is tapping into yourself, that intuitive side, understanding who you are and being self-aware and just going for it and not saying no, not saying no. And not convincing, you know, you could think through the consequences so easily and convince yourself into doing something or into not trying something. And you don't freaking know. I mean, none of us know what the hell is going to happen in five minutes, much less at six months from now or a year from now. So we just have to be here and be in our yes and be in our purpose and the rest will follow. I love that. And I, don't know a better way to wrap up this than saying thank you and the rest will follow. And thank you, Dr. Laura. To learn more about Dr. Laura, we will put all her information in the show notes. Check out the show notes. And Karina, are you going to ask Dr. Laura to do the deed? We do. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, what? I when you say do here. the deed, especially when do we're talking to somebody who's a relationship and sex therapist. Like, so this will not- be nothing for you. <laughs> So we like to ask all of our guests to say something silly as we wrap up, which is just kick it. Kick it. (laughs) Kick it, Jules. Kick it. Let's kick it. All right. (laughs) When we have the outro music, it sounds cool. It makes a lot more sense. Kick it. Kick it. Kick it. You could say it really sexy, Dr. Laura. Kick it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Femcasters. We hope you were inspired. We hope you were motivated. We hope you think a little bit differently about how your voice, your very own voice, can change the universe. So tap on those five stars, share the love, share this episode with another Femcaster that you think could use this message today. And head over to femcasters.com for all the goods we covered today, including tools to elevate your voice. You can join our exclusive community and celebrate the femcaster in you. Together, we can elevate the power and the voice of women girl-wide. Let's do this.